Well, our country began with the 13 colonies, right, uh, fighting for their independence against England in what we know as the Revolutionary War. Uh, and this war lasted from 1775 to 1783. And the Treaty of Paris ended that re uh, Revolutionary War, where Great Britain finally acknowledged uh, and recognized the colonies as a new and independent nation. And the Treaty uh, of Paris defined a new U.S. border, uh, which uh, U.S. acquired all the, what was called the Northwest Territory at the time, which is all of that pink territory that you see uh, there up on the map. So uh, the United States grew quite, quite bigger uh, as a result of the Revolutionary War. But most importantly, they were free to decide how they were going to govern themselves, how they were going to rule themselves. Now, <clears throat> can you imagine if after the war had ended, and after so much bloodshed and hardship, if, if Washington and Franklin and Jefferson and the Founding Fathers all got together uh, and they said to uh, King George, you know what, never mind. Uh, we really don't want our independence after all. Uh, we'd love to come back under your rules and oppression. Can you imagine if they said that? Of course they would never say that. Too much blood had been shed, and they were free. Why would they choose bondage to a tyrannical ruler, oppressive taxation, and all these uh, rules that England uh, had imposed on them when they had won their freedom already? And this is the argument that Paul is making uh, throughout the Galatians. Uh, Christ has bought our freedom. Too much blood has been shed. We're not going to go back uh, to the old way of doing things. He has set you free from the law. So you don't have to keep the law's oppressive demands anymore. Uh, so don't go back to bondage. And Paul's whole purpose in writing this letter to the Galatians uh, is to wake them up because they had fallen under a spell of the Judaizers who were saying, you have to have Jesus, yes, but you have to have the law as well. So Paul's trying to wake them up. He's trying to uh, snap them out of this new allegiance that they've formed uh, to these Judaizers uh, so that they would not choose slavery to the law when by the blood of Christ they were free from it. So we're going to be finishing chapter 4 today, uh, which ends this second section of Galatians, this middle section of Galatians. So in chapters 1 and 2, uh, Paul established his authority, uh, that he had the, the right to speak uh, the scripture or speak the gospel to them because Christ had spoken it directly to him uh, and that he had this authority. And so uh, after he established his authority, he stated the gospel in chapter 2, a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4 are the heart of the letter, uh, the gospel of justification by faith explained, uh, where Paul lays out these seven proofs uh, that justification is by faith and not by works of the law, as we've been discussing over these last few weeks. <clears throat> and then chapters 5 and 6 are more applicational in nature, uh, and we'll start that part of uh, the letter next week. Uh, so we've been working our way through these seven proofs uh, that justification is by faith and not by works of the law. And when we say justified, what we mean is the moment in time where God declares us not guilty of our sin, even though we are sinners. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He seals us as his for all eternity. And it's not based on any works or any law keeping that we've done. It's based solely on God's grace through faith in Christ alone. And so we've covered the first five proofs already. The Galatians' own experience proves the truth of the gospel. They received the gospel by faith, not by keeping the law. Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. 
God promised salvation with a covenant before he gave the law. In fact, 400 years before he gave the law. The purpose of the law came 400 years later, but its purpose was not to save, it was to condemn. And the fifth proof that we looked at last week, those with faith, not those who adhere to the law, are the ones who are sons and heirs. So this week we're going to look at the last two proofs, that rituals of the law are futile for salvation, and then we'll look at Paul's allegory of Sarah and Hagar to prove that we are not under bondage, but we are free. So Paul said that, that these Galatians were behaving uh, under these laws and rituals. They, they were still under the elemental, the elementary things of the faith. Uh, they were still drinking the milk and not eating the solid food, as the author of Hebrews put it. Uh, so they had, uh, in their faith, when they believed, they had progressed past the elemental things. They were eating the solid food. So why go back to the milk? Performance-based salvation. Don't Go back. Don't regress in your faith. Bask in the glory of being justified by faith and live in the freedom of it. <clears throat> so let's look at Paul's discussion about uh, rituals of law being futile towards salvation. Uh, so verses 8 to 11. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again. You meticulously observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. <clears throat> so we can cut the Galatians a little slack, right? We can give them a little grace because they were new to their faith and they were still immature. Uh, and Paul had left, and now these Judaizers had come in, uh, and they came into their churches, and they challenged both Paul's authority and his gospel of justification by faith. And we can understand how the Galatians would be easily influenced by uh, a bunch of uh, religious-looking people and a bunch of religious-sounding people. And so as the Judaizers started to influence these Galatians, they started to drift uh, from the moorings of their true faith that Paul had spoken to them. So... In verse 8, uh, Paul is talking mostly about the Gentiles, the pagan Gentiles that were slaves to these false, uh, non-existent gods before God called them out of the darkness of paganism uh, and justified them by faith. So that's verse 8. And then in verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul was talking about both Jewish and Gentile uh, Galatians uh, who had fallen under these Judaizers' influence. Uh, so the passage says that the Galatians were uh, observing days and months and seasons and years. So uh, Paul is likely talking about the weekly Sabbaths, those would be the days, and the months would be the new moon festivals that uh, they used to keep, which are also referenced in the book of Colossians. Uh, seasons are the seasonal festivals like Passover and uh, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And years would be the, the sabbatical years and the jubilee years. So they meticulously kept these things as though uh, they, uh, they, they gained something toward their salvation. Uh, and they did this because the, the Judaizers had convinced them that they had to, that it was necessary for them to keep these things in order to please God. But Paul, when he was with the Galatians, he made it clear to them uh, that the law is no grounds for justification. Keeping the law will never justify us because justification is by grace alone. So if God gives justification by faith, why would anyone want to go back to this old system all over again that we're enslaved to keeping days and months and weeks and years? And so Paul was worried that he had wasted his time on them, that he had labored over them in vain. 
which could mean, uh, on the one hand, that, that Paul had preached the gospel to them and he was hoping to uh, help them advance in their spiritual maturity, and they weren't. They were stuck. They were stagnant. That, that's one thing that it could mean. But the other thing that it could mean, and I think this is the bigger thing that he may have feared even, is that they were never Christian to begin with. Uh, and that is a very scary thing. But either way, Paul was very much distressed about these Galatians, how they had drifted. So we may face this same quandary as well, right? As, as we look at people who, who profess to be Christians, uh, we, 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 we look at them and we say, well, you're calling yourself a Christian, but you're not living like it. Uh, and sometimes we may be those people ourselves, right? Calling ourselves Christians and sometimes not living like it, right? Uh, but we, we look at them and we, we, we're trying to make judgments, right? Have they just strayed from the faith or were they never really believers? And unfortunately for us, we really don't know the answer to that question because God knows the heart and God alone knows the heart. So what's our role? Well, our role is just to keep witnessing to them, keep speaking the truth and love to them, keep loving them like Christ loves them, uh, and trying to uh, convince them that, that the gospel of justification by faith is the only way, that there is no other way. So uh, thankfully, we have a model for how we should love people to Christ. And this is what we see in verses 12 to 20, as Paul uh, just issues a personal plea to them, an emotional, heartfelt plea to them out of love for them. Uh, not some uh, grand theological argument here, but, but just Paul pouring out his heart for these Galatians who he loved so much. So we'll read verses 12 through 20 and then discuss. Uh, so verse 12 uh, through 16 on the first slide, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, nor express contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing that you had? For I testify about you that if possible, you would have torn your own eyes out and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, but not in a commendable way. They want to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is always good to be eagerly sought in a commendable way, and not only when I am present with you, my children, whom I am, whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I wish to be present with you now and to change my tone of voice, for I am at a loss about you. So Paul hearkened back, verses 12 to 16, about this joyous time that he had, that he first spent with them when he was there with them not so long ago. Uh, they had had such love for each other, but now that love had grown cold. Uh, the Judaizers were uh, the new kids in town, right? And, and Paul became old news. He became forgotten. And so Paul is trying to rekindle their love for him uh, in these verses uh, by reminding them of the relationship that they had formerly had. And I think what we, we pick out here more than anything is Paul's pastoral heart. Uh, we know that Paul was the greatest theologian, the greatest apologist, the greatest evangelist the church has ever had. Uh, but Paul didn't sit in an ivory tower, right, writing treatises uh, uh, and uh, never getting down with the people, right? He lived among the people. Uh, he, he was on the ground and in the muck of life with these Galatian believers, and that's why he loved them with all his heart. Uh, and it grieved him that, that both their relationship had deteriorated and uh, that they were also departing from the truth. 
So he's pleading with them from an emotional standpoint, reminding them of the fellowship that they once enjoyed. And Paul implored them to become uh, as he was, which means he was free from the law. Uh, He was free from the influence of false teachers. Uh, Paul was bound only to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ as Jesus himself revealed it to Paul personally. So become as I am, Paul implores them, as I became as you are, which means that that Paul uh, entered into their world. He learned about their beliefs and their struggles and their fears by by spending time with them, uh, by doing life together with them and living among them. And this was Paul's missionary strategy. In, the cha- in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul said that he became Jews to the Jews, like Gentiles to the Gentiles. He became uh, weak for the sake of the weak. He said, I have become all things to all men so that uh, hopefully by all means I may save some. And that's the heart of a missionary. That is Paul's heart. Yes, brilliant theologian, evangelist, apologist, but his heart was soft and warm toward these Galatians that he loved so much. He loved them just like Jesus loved them. Now, when Paul originally came to them, he was apparently very sick. Now, we don't know what this illness was specifically. Uh, Some have speculated that he may have contracted malaria uh, as he was traveling like through the marshy lower regions around Pamphylia. That's like a lower lower region where maybe many mosquitoes might have existed uh, and he might have got malaria from them. And then he had to cross the Taurus Mountains, a very imposing mountain range to reach these cities of Galatia uh, where he did most of his ministry. And by the time he got there, Uh, He was very sick, and he must have looked like a a mess by the time he got to them. Uh, But these Galatians didn't reject him, even in his bodily condition, but they received him as an angel or as even Jesus himself. And that's very strong testimony about the hearts of these Galatians. Uh, You know, here's a Jew, here's Paul, and he's coming to this predominantly Gentile region, and they loved him well, received him well, and even nursed him well. And so this should be a lesson to us about hospitality. Uh, We ought to welcome people in need regardless of their physical appearance or their condition, and especially if they're missionaries or otherwise doing the Lord's work and in need of assistance. James said, as you'll remember, if a brother or sister is without clothing and daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, but you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? James called that a dead faith. And so uh, it seems that though the Galatians were a very hospitable lot, and and Paul could tell right away that that they might be ripe to receive the gospel, and so he preached it to them, and they received it. But something changed. What changed? What happened? Well, the Judaizers had obviously poisoned uh, these Galatians against Paul. When he was there, it says they would have given their eyes for him, which could be just a figure of speech, or it could be that whatever this bodily condition was that he had, uh, it had affected his eyes to the point that that he was having some kind of vision problems. Uh, But now that he was gone and the Judaizers had come to town, now they treated him like an enemy. And this just shows the fickleness of our human hearts. When the messenger's words are pleasing uh, and we like what the messenger is saying, uh, we love the messenger, right? But if the messenger confronts us uh, with an uncomfortable or an unwanted truth, well, then we're prone to, to reject the messenger and despise his message. The Judaizers had convinced these Galatians that keeping the law was necessary. It was a Jesus plus brand of salvation, Jesus plus law. Now, we find this even in our own day, right? Some people may be attracted to the gospel of Jesus plus for a variety of reasons. 
The main reason, I think, is because the gospel itself is so offensive. The gospel is very offensive because it calls us out as sinners, and it demands that we repent and we turn to Jesus, only Jesus, Jesus alone. It says we can do nothing on our own merit in order to earn salvation, and that salvation is all of God, and that it's none of us. And people are offended by that because they want to take pride in their own works and they want to prove that they're better than their next door neighbor and that's why they get to go to heaven or that they deserve salvation for some other reason uh, based on their good works. Uh, so it's a, a Jesus plus anything uh, theology uh, completely dilutes uh, and diminishes what Jesus did on the cross. So some people are attracted to this, this Jesus plus works because of their own pride. Others uh, reject this gospel because it seems too easy. Uh, you mean to tell me all I have to do is believe? That's it? That's all I got to do? Well, yeah, but it's a lot harder than it sounds because it demands that we have to lay down our pride in any sense of self-sufficiency. It demands that we admit our desperate need and confess our sins and that we can't help ourselves. And it causes us to cry out from the depths of our hearts when we realize how far we are from the Lord Jesus Christ and how desperate we need a savior. And there's nothing easy about that, right? To lay down your pride and to admit that there is nothing in you that merits salvation and that it's all of God. Uh, and so the, the gospel sounds easy, uh, but it's not that easy because of what it requires of us. Well, these Galatians had gotten to the point where they accepted Paul's message. They accepted his gospel. Uh, and now they were rejecting it in favor of this works-based, law-based salvation where they could check boxes on their checklist and say, fulfilled, 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 and think that they were earning merit toward uh, salvation with God. So they were choosing law over grace. The, the, the Judaizers were mistaken about their Jesus plus law theology, and Paul told them the truth. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, you and I all need people in our lives who will tell us the truth. They have the freedom to tell us the truth, even if we don't want to hear it. Because we don't need to be surrounded by a bunch of, of people uh, who want to flatter us and yes us to death and tell us how great we are. Uh, we need to have at least one person in our lives who we have given permission to uh, and who love us enough to tell us the truth if we have strayed or if we're doing something that appears to be sinful. And so uh, that's uh, what we need to have in our lives. We need to have a person, at least one person, who has that kind of freedom to speak truth into our lives. And in fact, that's a big part of preaching. That's why Paul always confronted people with the truth through his preaching and through his writing. Uh, a preacher's job is to confront people, including the preacher, right? It's not, not confronting you alone, confronting me too, with the truth of what Scripture says uh, and what God's Word says, and then to leave room for the Holy Spirit to effectuate life change. That's what the purpose of preaching is. So Paul did that for the Galatians, and his motives were pure, not to gain followers, but to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's the difference between the Judaizers and Galatians, or in the uh, Judaizers, as we see in verses 17 to 20. These Judaizers, they wanted the Galatians to be their disciples. And Paul said, no, you don't need to be the Judaizers' disciples, you need to be Christ's disciples. And that's what Paul was always after, not pointing uh, the Galatians or any of his uh, listeners to himself, but pointing them to Jesus Christ. And that's why uh, Paul's motives were pure. And Paul compared this weight, the, the, this, this heavy anguish that he had over them to a mother in labor. 
Uh, you mothers know what this is like, right? You suffer uh, for, the, for, for childbirth, not only in the birthing of your children, but you suffer uh, with them through their daily hardships and, and, and any kind of trial that they undergo. All parents know what it's like to, to grieve for your children uh, when they suffer the hardships of life. And all we want to do is to lessen their pain, lessen their stress, and we would take it on, them, uh, on their stress on us if we could. Well, that's how Paul was with these Galatians. Uh, he was in agony over them because they were believing the lies that these Judaizers were propounding, and, and he, was, he was wanting them to return to, to the gospel of grace that, that he had taught them, and he was eager to change his tone with them, but he was at his wit's end. He was like a parent. Uh, he wanted to rescue his children from the corrupting influence of the Judaizers, but he had lost their ear somehow. And so he, he insists again that, 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 that these rituals of the law are futile towards salvation. And this led Paul to try one more tactic uh, to convince these Galatians that they should listen to him, remember this gospel of justification by faith. And so uh, he references Abraham one more time, as he did in chapter 3, but this time uh, he tells an allegory, or uh, you might call it an analogy, between the two mothers of Abraham's children to show the difference between freedom from the law on the one hand and slavery to the law on the other hand. So these verses can be a little bit tricky to follow, uh, so I gave you a handout to help, uh, but the main point is in verse 31, so I just want us to read that before we uh, dig into verses 21 to 31. Verse 31 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave woman, but of the free woman. And that's the point of this whole allegory. So I don't want us to get caught up in the weeds of the allegory. I want us to see the main point here and not miss this. Believers in Christ are free. And those trying to earn salvation by keeping the law are slaves. So which would you rather be? Do you want to be free or do you want to be a slave? So we'll break this uh, little allegory down into three sections. Uh, verses 21 to 23 are historical verses. Uh, verses 24 to 27, now Paul interprets the history allegorically, he says, uh, by analogy to two covenants. And then verses 28 to 31 are for personal application. So let's read the historical verses first, verses 21 to 23. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman according to the promise. So I say that these are historical verses because Paul pulled them from the historical record that is found in the book of Genesis of Abraham's family uh, and his progeny through uh, Sarah and through Hagar. Uh, so Paul was making observations and he was making contrasts, and I'll put the chart up on the screen uh, a couple times as we go through these. But Paul is making observations and he's making contrasts in these verses. There are two mothers, uh, Hagar and Sarah, uh, who bore two sons. Ishmael was born to Hagar uh, and Isaac was born to Sarah, who is the free woman. Ishmael is born according to the flesh, which means according to the natural way that, that children are born to two parents who are of childbearing age. Now, Isaac was born according 
or contrary to nature because he was born long after Abraham and Sarah uh, were in childbearing age. So his birth is supernatural. It's according to God's promise. And so it's miraculous, a work of God to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah that a child would come from Sarah's womb and that God would fulfill the promises he made of land, seed, and blessing from Genesis 12, 15, 17 uh, to Abraham, that he would fulfill those promises through uh, this child, Isaac. So that's the historical data. Now, in verses 24 to 27, Paul says that these two women, these two births, these two sons can be taken allegorically, which means that he's drawing out a spiritual truth from this historical data, these historical facts. So let's read this part of it. Verses 24 to 27. This is speaking allegorically. For these women are two covenants, one coming from Mount Sinai, giving birth to children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is enslaved with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, infertile one, you who do not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one are, are more numerous than those of the one who has a husband. So Paul calls this an allegory. We might call it an analogy. Uh, what he's saying is that he's, he's, he's able to look at the historical facts and draw out a spiritual lesson from these historical facts. So the contrast is between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, and it's Judaism, the law of Moses, Christianity, and the gospel of grace. One gives freedom, the other one enslaves. And so Paul said the two women represent two covenants. Hagar represents the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses, where, where God demands obedience to the law and he promises cursing if they failed. We see that in Deuteronomy 28 and, and other places, cursing if they failed. So the law gives birth to children who are under the law. The children uh, born during that time period were all born, uh, born under the law. So for this reason, Hagar represents the earthly Jerusalem. Uh, they had been subjugated physically by the Romans, right? They were under Roman domination, and they were under the law spiritually. They were shackled by the law. So Hagar represents uh, this old covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant, and the earthly Jerusalem. Now Sarah, on the other hand, she represents the new covenant. The new covenant is promised in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, uh, and other places uh, in the Old Testament where, where God promised to give people a heart of flesh and that he would write the law on their hearts uh, and, and that he, uh, they would be God's people and God would remember their sins no more. Now, these are the children of Sarah. Sarah is the mother of all the children of the promise, the spiritual children of Abraham, uh, who are those of the faith of Abraham. Remember, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is the faith of Abraham. Now, you and I believe in God. We believe in God and his promise of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and by it, we, by belief in him, we are saved. So we believe, too. We are spiritual children of Abraham. Now, Sarah, she corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem uh, because all who believe uh, and have this faith in Jesus Christ, as I've just said, uh, they will experience the promises of God in a new heavens and a new earth as Revelation promises. So she is, uh, as part of this allegory, she is the mother of all the spiritual children of Abraham. Now, 
In verse 27, Paul uh, applied this verse. Verse 27 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 54, uh, verse 1. And it, it, Paul uses it to, to reference the turn of events that happens between Sarah and Hagar. Because Sarah was born initially barren, right? She couldn't have children. Uh, and yet Hagar bore Abraham a son. So as Paul uh, cites this verse, uh, he ends up using Sarah to say Sarah ended up with innumerable more spiritual children because God is still fulfilling this Abrahamic covenant even today whenever someone turns and believes and is saved. That's a fulfillment to Abraham of land, seed, and blessing. And it turns out that although Hagar had the one child of Abraham, uh, it ended up that Sarah had more children, uh, more spiritual children than the stars in the heavens or the sand on the seashore. So that's the allegory. Paul is trying to convince uh, these Galatians that by holding tight to legalism, they were in danger of joining the wrong branch of Abraham's family. There are two branches of Abraham's family. One is enslaved by the law, and the other lives in freedom uh, because of grace. So if they want to be like Hagar, well, they're going to be enslaved to the law. Uh, but if they want to follow the other branch of the family, they will be free because of God's grace. And so Paul didn't want slavery for them. He wanted them to have freedom. And so in verses 28 to 31, Paul told them how to have it. He told them what they needed to do. Verse 28, And you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time the son who was born according to the flesh persecuted the one who was born according to the Spirit, so it is even now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave woman, but of the free woman. So just notice first that he's still calling them brothers and sisters, right? These are, this is Paul's love for them, and he believes that they are true believers, that they are family, uh, members of the family of God. And he's reminding them that they are like Isaac. They are children of the promise. They are not bound by the law. And he's telling them, you can't mix law and grace. Jesus plus the law does not save. Jesus alone saves. So those who, uh, who were identifying with the law, uh, who were trying to be justified by the law, they would be cast out. And so again, Paul takes this uh, and, and allegorizes it. He draws an analogy. He's talking about Abraham uh, and Hagar and their child Ishmael, who persecuted Isaac. And he says that's ongoing today, and we know that from ourselves. You know, many centuries later, uh, 4,000 years after Abraham and Isaac, the church is still being persecuted, and we always will be persecuted. But what did Abraham try to do when, when Ishmael was persecuting Isaac? It was because they were all, uh, uh, Abraham was trying to have them all live happily under one roof, right? You got Hagar, you got Ishmael. Uh, and you have Sarah, and you have Isaac, and, and, and Abraham is hoping they'll all live in peace and harmony under the same roof. But that didn't happen, right? Because Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And so uh, Abraham goes to God and says, you know, what shall I do? Because Sarah has told me to get rid of the bondwoman. So uh, God says, listen to the woman, right? Listen to your wife. And Abraham had to cast out the bondwoman. And can, you can imagine how painful that was, right? Because his son, his own flesh and blood, is Ishmael. And so he's got to cast him out into the wilderness. And, and uh, Paul likens this to, to the Jews who have to cast out the law because for the most part, this was all they had ever known. It would be hard for them to do this, but they had done it when, when uh, Paul was with him. 
uh, with them. Uh, and now they needed to do it again because the Judaizers had come and uh, they had fallen under his influence. They needed to hold tight to grace. They needed to cast out the law uh, as, their, uh, as their slave master if they were going to be free under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, we've looked at these seven irrefutable proofs now uh, that justification is by faith and not by works. So do we want to give back this freedom or do we want to be free, right? The colonists wanted to stay free and we should too. We want to be free from the bounds of the law because Christ bought that for us. He shed his blood so that we can have it. And by faith, uh, we get to live in the freedom uh, uh, from the law, which is a freedom to love God and to live for him. So let's finish with two applications. The first one will be from verses 8 to 20, and the second one will be from this allegory, verses 21 to 31. So the first one is this, that love wins converts. Now, as you read these, this impassioned plea from Paul to the Galatians in verses 8 to 20, it's just hard to imagine that, that these Galatians weren't moved uh, on some emotional level uh, by Paul's passion and love for the gospel and, and his compassion and love for these Galatians. And Paul was so intelligent, he could refute any argument, and he did, right? He demolished every argument. But, but sometimes it's not about winning arguments, right? Sometimes people don't want to be defeated in an argument. That's not the way to draw them to Christ, right? Some people, for some people, for most people, I think it's about loving them like Jesus loved them. Uh, and in the case of the Galatians, loving them back to Jesus the way uh, they had formerly uh, been part of, of uh, uh, Paul's teaching beforehand. So he's trying to love them, not necessarily argue them to faith in this section. And, and Paul, you know, he was a great legalist when he was a Pharisee, right? And he remembered the kind of legalist that he was. And so he knows the dangers of legalism, and that's why he's saying to them, you need to flee from this. This is quicksand. This is a death trap for you. And the Judaizers ignited Paul's wrath uh, because they were false teachers. They were only trying to make disciples for themselves. And it was clear that Paul's true passion was for the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that love was unrestrained. So for you and I, we need to exude this same kind of love and compassion for people. Now, people may not believe instantly when we share the gospel with them, right? It would be nice if they did, but they don't always believe instantly. Our, our evangelistic attempts are not always successful. But even if they don't believe instantly, one thing they should leave the encounter absolutely sure of is that we believe with our whole hearts passionately about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross and that our faith means everything to us. They should know that we love Jesus with all our hearts and, and that because we love them too, we want them to experience this same love and life change that we have. And so we're, we're simply trying to grab the hand of an unbeliever and lift it up to God who's reaching down to them and make that connection, connect it to the God that we love. So remember that it's love and not arguments that win people to faith. And secondly, don't go back to bondage. Legalism shackles us to a list of do's and don'ts that destroy our freedom in Christ. And there are many teachers out there who want to enslave us to a Jesus plus kind of salvation, uh, like the Judaizers preached. In our day, it could be Jesus plus baptism. We're going to have a baptism today. Baptism does not save 
Uh, it's Jesus alone that saves. Baptism is because we want to be obedient and show uh, that we are identifying with Jesus Christ. So it's Christ alone. Today, uh, we might say it's Jesus plus being a good person. Jesus plus keeping the sacraments. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus, plus, uh, plus tithing. Jesus plus social justice. It could be anything that we attach to Jesus. When we say Jesus plus anything, we are destroying and diluting the gospel of Christ's finished work on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. So we only need to believe in Jesus to be saved. Now, we should do good works, right? I'm not up here saying, don't do any good works. That would be foolish, right? It's just that the good works don't gain anything toward our salvation. They are out of gratitude for our salvation, not to earn it, but because of it, out of thanksgiving to God. So any, any plus of human performance that we add to Jesus's work confuses the simple gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead, and that by faith in him, we have eternal life. Jesus set us free from works-based salvation. Why live in bondage, brothers and sisters? Amen? Amen. Lord God, we thank you for the salvation that your son bought for us on the cross, that we are not enslaved to anything, Lord, that we are free to live for you and to love you and not to keep rituals and rules uh, that will only enslave us and will distract us from uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would apply these lessons to our hearts and minds and that we would go out from here living in the freedom that you bought for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.